When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And this portion of Manny and Judd is sponsored hey. by... Yeah, I got it this there time. This, this portion hey. of Manny and Judd is sponsored by our friends at Menards. Oh, we love Menards. We love Manny. Nicely done. Thanks, Murph. That was good. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. That was very good. <laughs> uh, don't forget, too, uh, more uh, more show news if you have not heard. Um, Mackie and Judd with Manny on board is going to move from 9 a.m. weekdays to 3 p.m. 3 to 6 p.m. starting on Monday. So the mm-hmm. day after the day after the Vikings um, open against San Francisco. And also don't forget that we are now going to have a uh, Vikings event line expanded edition, which is going to be a pregame edition. Correct. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. It's going to be 10 to noon, correct? Uh, I thought it was 11 to noon. I thought we were just doing the one hour. 10 to 1 will be, 10 to 11 will be Purple Podcast podcast replay. And then 11 to to, uh, noon will be uh, the pregame of Vikings. So so Vikings pregame show now on the station uh, from 10 to noon on Sunday. And then, of course, Ventline postgame immediately after the game ends. Returns with Manny on a Sunday as well. So as mm-hmm. soon as the Vikings game, as soon as the final gun goes at we'll U.S. Bank Stadium, 651-646-8255. Exactly right. Uh, that, this weekend at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, Mr. Hill, will feature a celebration of the anniversary of your 1998 Minnesota Vikings, mm-hmm. which, of course, in some ways is glorious because it was Moss's first season, 15-1, and the only loss being to Tampa Bay. A trip to the NFC Championship game at home. So it wasn't really even a trip against the Falcons where you were up in the first half. And I remember being in the stadium and people were essentially celebrating because the only thing left to do was actually get on the plane and fly to Miami. And so all you had to do was have Gary Anderson make that field goal to give you a 10. Anyway, so they're going to (laughs) they're going to celebrate the anniversary of that team. And in honor of that, what I decided to do was sit Mm -hmm. down and uh, you did as well, and come up with our top 10 memorable Minnesota sports seasons. And my philosophy on on this was that could have been championships. It could have been teams that you loved because you you were a kid. Mm -hmm. So they didn't even have to be good. But for you, your top 10 that you've seen sports seasons in this town, and, and of course ours are going to be very different because I'm old and you're not. But let's start with you. Your top 10 memorable Minnesota sports seasons for any variety of reasons. So I'll count down from 10 to 1. Perfect. Um, and let me preface this by saying I'm 34 years old. The oldest one on this list, the oldest season on this list is from the mid-90s. So 
Don't tweet at me when I get my list and say, well, what about that season? And all that? I don't. Royce, you'll just, be mad at you. Yeah. What about the 65 twins? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you have the 65 twins on that list? So number 10 um, is is the most recent one, and it's uh, last year's Viking season, 2017. Uh, obviously, it ended with a thud in Philadelphia, but it was it was a fun season, 13-3. and three. Case Keenum comes in out of nowhere and uh, has really an unsuc- un- unexpected success, and uh, it was it was fun. It really was a fun season. It just it just ended on a really really disgusting note uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, number nine might be the most uh, surprising one on this list: the 2011 Lynx season. And Ooh. the reason why is because that was the year. I like it. That was the first championship for them. It was Maya Moore's rookie year, and. It stands out to me because that was the beginning of this terrific run that they've that they've had now ever since. And that was the one that was it was special because for Simone Augustus, who had been here with the Lynx for a lot of lean years, she had a great performance in the finals against Atlanta. She won finals MVP. And that was sort of a crowning moment for her and her career uh, that she certainly deserved. Number eight. To sort of piggyback off of the uh, that great link season, the uh, 2003-2004 Gopher women's basketball season, final trip to the Final Four, yeah, changed the landscape of that program. Lindsey Whalen, obviously a huge part of that. That was a terrific team, a terrific run to the Final Four, shocking Duke in the Elite Eight, and then uh, playing UConn pretty tough. Diana Tarazi and, and UConn pretty tough in the Final Four, where the Gophers fell short. But that was a fun season. Number seven, 1996-1997. This is the oldest season on my list. Mm-hmm. 96-97, go for men's basketball season, which we're being told by no, certain people no, in the NCAA that, 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 that it didn't happen. But it up. happened, damn it. They got to the final No, hang four. the banner up. Yeah. Hang no, the banner back hang up and back say up. that students took the class, that general population students took the same, got, Jan wrote them papers too, and tell the NCAA, because you have proven this, which of course you can't yep. be disproven, that you're going to hang that banner back up. Yeah. So that was a fun fun season. They were Great season. Number, number two in the country for most of the year. Kansas was number one. Yep. Pretty much. They were number one, number two for a couple of months, all the way down to the to the end of the year. Got to the final four, lost to Kentucky, but that was a great ride. That that uh, sweet was it Sweet Sixteen uh, against UCLA. Yes, where they were down. That's right. And yes. they came back and 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 won. Yep. Oh no, it might have been might have been Clemson. Royce will remember. Royce will remind me. Um, so that's number seven. Number six, and you'll like this, Judd. Two thousand three Minnesota. Two thousand two, two thousand three Minnesota Wild. Mm-hmm. Third season of existence. They go all the way to the Western Conference Finals, and you got guys. You got. A young star like Marion Gabrick, who's terrific, but you've got scrappy, West scrappy Walls. veterans, West Walls and Cliff Running, and and they're Rick, trapping, they're they're playing the Jacques Lemaire trap. They're one of the guy, um, <laughs> and and the the moment that steps that stands out to me. I mean, everybody talks about Bruno's goal to beat the Avalanche in Game Seven. That sure. was great, sure. But Game Six of that series, Richard Park. The slap shot to beat Patrick Waugh in overtime to force the game set. I remember it well, coming that on was, the right wing side. That's the one it was right that, below me in the press box. That is the most underrated moment I think from that from that run. I mean, Bruno's goal gets the glory, and and, and it should. Yep. But Richard Park's goal in the previous game to send it to Game Seven to beat Patrick Waugh's—that's the one that sticks to my mind. Absolutely. Oh, and to answer your question, 
97 Gophers, you're right. They beat Clemson in two OTs. Yeah, that's then, the one I'm thinking of. In the Sweet 16, then they beat UCLA in, in the, the Elite, Elite eight. 8, and then they played Kentucky. Because the Clemson in the one was the tough one yep. that they that they were Nin- down late. 90-84, double OT in that game. Yeah. They beat them. Uh, number five. This is one that will, uh, if you're a Gopher football fan, you'll appreciate this one. 1999 Gopher football. A lot of fun because... Long time coming, man. Beat Penn State pro- that year, right? Beat Penn State, Penn Dan State, Nystrom Dan kicked, Nystrom, kicked, kicked right. the field goal. Okay. And if they had beaten Wisconsin that year, they lost to Wisconsin at the well, Dome in overtime. Pigs might have flown too, Manny. Yeah, that's true. But yes, but, but they would have they right. would have gone to the Rose Bowl because they would have been because back then it was the longest and that was Rose the Sun Bowl, Bowl team, right? Yep, that they was a Sun Bowl Sun team. Bowl. They lost to Joey Harrington and and Oregon in the um, yep. in the Sun Bowl, but that was a fun year. They went eight and four. First really good season for Gopher football in a long time. Uh, number four, 2002 Twins. A lot of fun. David Ortiz uh, last season with the Twins and uh, all the way to the ALCS beating Oakland in that uh, LDS was great. Uh, 2003-2004 Minnesota Timberwolves are number three on my list. Um, great run to the Western Conference Finals. That epic series with Sacramento was memorable. That Game 7 was terrific do on you KG's remember, birthday. Do you remember, too, in watching that season and playoff run in particular, how we thought it was just sort of the start of the whole thing. Yeah. Like they'd gone to the playoffs consistently since what, 97. Yep. But they always got bounced in the first round. round. It was the first time they got out of the first round. And so they got out, they got out of the first round. They had KG. And I remember thinking to myself, Oh, this team's going to be set up to be good for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Like this is going to be, and they went into next year, the next year and got out to a really good start. They were like 16 and seven or something like that. If I, if I had told you, Hey Manny, come here. When you're in your thirties in 2018, this team's going to have been back to the playoffs. I believe once since Yeah, you'd have been like, you're crazy, right? There's no way. And they got out to a good start that next season. And it was like, Oh, this, they picked up right where they left off. And then people started complaining about contracts and, Pretty well said. He had to feed his family. Well, they fired and, Flip. Yeah, they fired Flip, and, and then they fired. They fired Flip, and then they fired Dwayne. I yeah, mean, two years later. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, the whole thing made none of it made any sense. None of it made sense. They fired a five hundred coach, and firing Flip it was twenty and twenty. Why yeah. did McKay, and why did Kevin bounce Flip? Well, they had there was some dissension in the locker room. I think, if I remember, because Spree was complaining, or Sam Cassell was complaining because he wanted an extension. Spree was complaining about his contract. Wally wasn't starting, and he was complaining well, about that. The, remember, remember, KG had the had the TNT interview with with uh, with Big John with John Thompson. Yeah. He's, I'm losing, John. I'm losing, man. And he's just all emotional and everything, and you could just tell, like it was just, yeah, that was that was that was rough. But um, all right, number two, mm-hmm. 2009 Minnesota Vikings, the Brett Favre year, trip to the NFC Championship game. It ended in heartbreak, obviously. The Saints game is always talked about. But uh, that was a lot of fun because I think Brett Favre came in and he exceeded expectations. Oh. I don't think anybody expected him to be as good as he was that year. And if you recall those first two games, he handed off to Peterson a lot. Yep, and dumped we, it off. And, and we were writing, we wrote two games in because they beat Cleveland and then in week two, I think they went to Detroit, and they beat Detroit in and Detroit. There was a Rams game in there, too. And, they were at St. Louis in there, too, but, somewhere. But shortly after that Detroit game, I believe, we all wrote that he's managing games. This is the perfect Favre. He's mm-hmm. he's older now. And then I want to say, was it week three that, that the uh, that the game here at the Dome? Was it the 49ers? Where he hit Greg, Greg Lewis, Lewis in the back of the end zone against 
San and then Francisco. from that point on, Favre was yeah. brilliant. But it was hilarious because two games in, we were all right, and he's doing exactly what you want. He's managing games. Peterson's the star of this offense. Brett, Brett's just going to play a small. Mm-hmm. Brett's going to play a supporting role. And then he hit Greg Lewis on that <laughs> touchdown pass. He was so good that yep. year. Favre was so good that MVP. Year. Yeah. Type of season. I mean, he, he didn't win it, but he had that type of season. All right, and number one on your list. Number one's pretty obvious. I think the, the whole reason why we started this conversation, the 98 Vikings, Moss comes in. I'm a freshman in high school. Randy Moss comes in, and he's just all world, and he's like the greatest thing. How heartbroken were you? Oh, I was pretty heartbroken. 2009, I was heartbroken, but I was more so upset because that game was right there, and they completely outplayed the Saints yes. in every aspect except they turned the ball over five times. Absolutely. But 98, I was heartbroken because it was like the idea of them losing was just like not – it was non-existent. Nope. I'm a, I'm a right. ninth grader. I'm a freshman in high school. Hey, it wasn't just and, you. And I'm just thinking, we got the, the you know the Falcons. Yeah, they're fourteen I, and two, but they're not that good. I, we got them at home. We're the, unstoppable at home. The and, atmosphere in that dome in the oh, first yeah. half of that game was basically, when do the planes leave? Yeah, not for the players because the idea the of fans. them the idea of them losing to the Falcons was just like, no, they're not going to lose. There's no way. I'll they're always, not going to lose. I'll always remember because I. I went with a buddy. We sat in the stands, and we both worked at the Strib. So we were going back to the Strib after that game, and I'll always remember the Pioneer Press and Star Tribune trucks trying to desperately shove the Vikings win papers back in. Mm. And I offered a guy 20 bucks. I said, I'll give you 20 bucks for one copy. He's like, I can't. I'll get in too much trouble. But they were the they, they were unveiling. They were basically had, by I'm sure, by halftime, they were trying to get so if they won, they could run them down to the field, and you know the players could hold them up, and it gets on TV. Yeah. Vikings, Miami bound, stuff like that, and um, they were trying to shove those things back in those paper trucks so quickly, and people were. It was that's as despondent as I've seen anything in sports. Yeah, and I look back at that game too, and there's so many different things like. Remember, because remember, Atlanta took the opening kickoff and they went right down and scored, went up seven nothing. You're like, oh, okay. Atlanta's pretty good, but the, right. uh, but the Vikings' but offense, the Vikings' offense, and yeah. the Vikings took the next possession. Cunningham hit a deep hit Moss deep in the back in the end zone, yep. t- tied it up. You're like, ah, yep, see, we're good, we're good. Yep. And then the one that's the the moment that stood out to me was Chuck <laughs> Smith going around Todd Stewart. Oh, that's mine too. Right before the half, that's mine. Forcing the fumble on Cunningham, Atlanta gets the touchdown. Yes, that's mine. That's exactly. Instead right. of going into the half twenty to seven, yep, it's twenty to fourteen. That changed everything. Am I right in saying that the statistic that year was until that moment Stussy hadn't been beaten for a sack all season long? I believe it. If you told me that, I'd, I'd believe it. I heard it somewhere, and I can't remember if I made it up or if I'm right. But I want to say at some point in time I heard that when Chuck Smith walked around Stussy, and That it, offensive line was serious business, too. That's why oh yeah. that loss well, just hurt so much. If you remember, my feeling was when the Falcons scored, my feeling was, okay, if the Vikings have to win 42-35, they'll win. Because mm-hmm. ne- they had been winning games like that. Yeah. They went into Dallas on Thanksgiving and won a game like that. It never occurred to me in my wildest dreams, especially that, but you just nailed it. The Chuck Smith play, you're like, oh. Uh-oh. What oh. was that? Yeah, exactly. And you're deep in your own territory right before the half, and you're yep. you're just you're up by two touchdowns, and you're just getting a little bit too greedy. I might be totally wrong about this, and I have never read this, and it, but it's just always been my contention. I think they took a knee at the end of regulation yeah. because of that. Yeah. Because they, they got scared. 
Because it was what third and it was like third and six or something, and they were and much farther out. They were like damn near midfield. Yeah, so they, they yes, so they easily could have run a play and thrown it up to Moss. Um, but I've always I've always thought, why on earth did an offense that powerful take a knee? And the only thing I can ever come back to is the Chuck Smith play scared the bejeebers out of them. And I wonder if that changed Randall Cunningham physically too, because you remember, oh, it did. The second half, he yeah. wanted no interest. Because he, Chuck's, yes, Chuck Smith came around and he hit Cunningham because Randall was getting ready to chuck it deep or throw it, and he he you know he brought his arm back and Chuck Smith came right around, slapped his arm, yep. knocked the ball out, beat Stussy, and and I wonder if like physically Randall just couldn't. Oh, I've always if thought it scared him. Just throwing, throwing. Well, yeah, probably that too. I just but I wonder if physically. There was something wrong with his arm after that too, because he was just never the same after that. My contention was that from that play on, he just said to himself, "I don't know if I can do this." Yeah, like the, he he had been he had had this fabulous he had stepped in and had this fabulous year, and in, in his mind become become in some ways unbeatable. Mm-hmm. And that play was like the kryptonite of oh my gosh, co MVP of the league with Terrell Davis. Exactly right. Okay, so go through your top ten again, and then uh, we'll we'll take a break and get to mine. Uh, number 10, 2017 Vikings, 2011 Lynx is number 9, uh, 03, 04 Gopher Women's Basketball, number 8. Number 7 is uh, the Gophers men's basketball team run to the Final Four, 97. Uh, 2003 Minnesota Wild run to the Western Conference Finals is number 6. 99 Gopher Football is number 5. 02 Twins is number 4. Uh, 2004 Wolves run to the Western Conference Finals, number 3. 09 Vikings number two, 98 Vikings number one. All right, that's your list. We're going to come back with mine, and if you'd like to join the conversation, you're certainly welcome to do so. 651-646-8255, most memorable Minnesota sports season. Oh, it's Saturday night. All right, Mackie and Judd, we are uh, recounting our uh, top 10 memorable Minnesota sports seasons. Manny just went through his 10. I'm going to go through mine, but first we're going to take a call, 651-646-8255, if you'd like to join the conversation. Uh, Billy, what's going on? Thanks for holding on. Hey, man. That uh, Thank you for taking my call. The 98 game with the, with the Falcons, uh, three things really got me in that game. One was Smith wasn't able to run out the clock. He was never one of those running backs that could run the clock out. He, I, I believe he got hurt, and he, and he kind of forced Anderson to try that field goal. And two, uh, that hit before halftime with uh, Chuck Smith, I don't think Cunningham was ever the same. Nobody ever brought it up, but it, it, that hit his arm really bad. Right? He was almost yeah. gun-shy after that. He never really had any strength. And it, it went into the next year to where George had to replace him. And then three, uh, uh, going back to the arm thing, uh, it, it was overtime. And the one time all year, Moss has this guy beat up, and I believe it was Buchanan, is in overtime. And he the only time all year the guy tips it at the last second, it was a game-winning Long bomb and 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 Boss had his arms out to catch it, and the guy at the it was I believe it was Buchanan for the Falcons tipped it away, and it was I think I think that was that was uh, that was a third down play, and I'll keep you guys talk about that. Ray Buchanan, thanks Billy, appreciate Thanks, it. Billy. Yeah, Ray Buchanan. That's a good man. memory right there. Yeah, I I think I I, think I don't I remember recall that. I don't recall that. That was one. an overtime. Yeah, and Ray Buchanan I think reached up. It okay. was on the left side. It was a deep pass on the left side. And on the far side, if you're going, because the Vikings were going left to right, I yep. think. And Ray Buchanan reached his hand out and deflected it away from Moss because Randy was right there to catch it. And I don't know if Randy would have scored, but he would have caught it. They would have been, been a in a field goal yeah. position at least and probably would have won the game. The poor kicker. By that point, who knows what the poor <laughs> kicker. 
All right. So, What's your list, sir? So here's my here's my list doing the same thing that you did starting at number 10 and working my way up. Number 10 on my list, and I told you that part of this is memorable seasons for you, yep. like as a kid. Because this team, this baseball team, in fact, in a strike-shortened year, went 41-68-1, had a tie game, 110 games, the 1980 Minnesota Twins. Mm. The Twins moved to the Dome in 82, uh, but that was a year that I went to a ton of Twins games at Met Stadium. It was a pretty bad collection. It was not a successful team, but it's one of those teams, those clubs that you just love. So 41 wins, strike short in year, um, two separate years, but 1980 Minnesota Twins. Number nine on my list, the 1990 Gopher Hoops team. Now that mm. is now that is that was sweet sixteen. Yeah, that's the one that Clem Clem took the I want to say eighty nine. They went to the NCAA tournament I think for the first time since eighty two. Okay, they they won the Big Ten in, in eighty two. Yep, and then I want to say Clem, so Clem came in d- during the whole fiasco there because eighty two uh, they won the Big Ten with Dutch. right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And then and then Dutch quit after the um, sexual assault allegations in Madison. Okay, and that's that's the team then that had the Iron Five, and then Clem came in after that, and uh, it took a while to turn around, but he actually did it fairly quickly. And Clem got the team back. I want to say in '89 uh, to the NCAA tournament, and the '90 team is the team that made the run and lost on the Kevin Lynch. Kevin Lynch took the shot from the corner against Georgia Tech, and it clanked off. It didn't go in, mm. but that was that was the first time '89 and '90 is the first time I realized. How much fun golfer basketball could be when they're good. When they're good, yeah. like there's no there's no question in this town that there's passion for that program, mm-hmm. and there's no doubt that people will turn out in that building. And when that building is full, as I've always said, Fantastic. it's the best building in town. I you you can keep all your new ones. Williams Arena when, when it's, it's empty. Full. It's depressing, but yep. when it's full, it's fantastic. fantastic. Yep. That was those Clem teams were the first time I realized that. Oh my gosh, there's a passion for basketball in this town, and it's huge. And if mm-hmm. Gopher basketball is good, it's really fun. That is number nine, the 1990 Gopher Hoopsters. Number eight, 2009 Vikings. I covered them, so I wasn't passionate about them as a fan. Mm-hmm. But it was the Favre thing was so interesting to watch, and being at Lambeau Field when he came out for warmups. In the game at Lambeau, and those boos were ringing in, man. It was. It felt, and and Manny for an outdoor stadium. I don't think I've ever felt this before since. Like a plane was taking off. Like in the Metrodome World Series, it felt like that. Mm-hmm. But when he when Favre ran out of that little tunnel that the visitors come out of in Lambeau, and the boo started, it felt like the building was going to take off. That 2009 year was, as far as documenting something. I won't top it. And I I remember watching it on TV on Fox because it was Tom Brenneman and, and Troy Aikman because Joe Buck was doing playoff baseball or something sure. like that. So Tom Brenneman was like the number one broadcaster with, with Troy Aikman. And they put the camera on Favre like when he first came out and the boos were ringing in and everything. And, and Brett just had kind of this little, kind of had this little, I don't want to say twinkle in his eye, but he, but he just he had, had this little smirk on yeah. the Monday night. He had and this he knew little he could smirk. Yeah, he had this yep. little smirk on his face. It's like, I'm going to kick their behinds oh, yeah. today, man. That and in, he did. That entire season 
was for him truly about beating the Packers twice. Mm-hmm. Everything else was gravy, and he played great, and it, it was fun. And a Super Bowl w- would have been fantastic, but everything in Favre's mind. But he re- wanted to show McCarthy and, that's and why, Ted Thompson that I can still play. And yeah. the reason why he shouldn't have come back in 2010 is he had proved his point, Yep, which was you should have allowed me to come back, which, of course, goes into the whole story of they tried. They actually went in April and asked him, do you want to come back? And he said no. And then in June he said, I'd like to come back, and they said too late. Yep. Number seven on my list. The 1991 North Stars run to the Stanley Cup Finals. Hmm. Now, that was an interesting team because that team was not that good. That they team, like seven or eight games under 500 or six, something. 68 points, fourth place in the Norris Division. <laughs> that team just got hot. That, yeah. that team yeah. got hot. It got <laughs> goaltending and made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Number seven, the 91 North Stars. Number six, and this is another team that I that is from my youth and I absolutely loved, and they were good but not great, 83-84 North Stars. Mm. That's the club that uh, that was first in the division, uh, beat the Blackhawks and Blues in the playoffs, and then got swept by Gretzky and the Oilers. But it was an 88-point team. It was very good. It was a team. It's the type of team, though, that you spend the whole year saying, well, this is fun and this team's good, but there's Gretzky. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're they're being swept. I remember that was the last team. They played a seven-game series that went to OT, and uh, Steve Payne scored in overtime of Game 7 of a playoff, of the second round of the playoffs at the Met against the Blues. That's the last time that I truly invested in a team. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't do this. Like I was the I was I was jumping up and down. I said, this ain't healthy. <laughs> this level I love sports, but this level of of being invested in a team is not good for a person. Yeah. That's the last I think that was the last team that I truly was invested in completely. Number five on my list, ninety eight Vikings. The Moss dynamic was so incredible. Huge. It was so Changed incredible. Changed the landscape and, of the organization. And in fact, there's two, there's actually in some ways two stories to that year because the year itself was fantastic, largely because of Moss, but just the Moss dynamic, mm-hmm. that he fell to you that far in the draft, that he came here and changed the game. Yes. Um. So the Moss thing was was such a compelling story in, in and of itself, but that team was so good. 98 Vikings, number five on my list. Number four... Also made your list, 97 Gophers, 96-97 men's basketball Gophers. A lot of fun. Put the banner back up. Yes. Honest to God. Just 100% say, agree. say that you have Mark Coyle, call the NCAA today, and say that you have found students who say that Gangelhoff, who unfortunately has passed away, that they are now saying they, that they are that they will even sign for you, that they received papers written as well, because then you can duck below the North Carolina shield and use the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Put the banners back up. That team existed. That team was fun. That team was uh, went on a great ride. The '97 Gopher Men Hoopsters are my are my fourth team. Number three on my list, the '91 Twins. Mm-hmm. Number two on my list, the '87 Twins, mm-hmm. which was the which was the first team in this town to win a major championship in my lifetime. And I really thought after 91 that we might see something else, a Super Bowl, a Stanley Cup or something. Yeah. Uh, but so number two, the 87 Twins. And then number one, no surprise, 81 North Stars, which did not win the Stanley Cup. But nonetheless, that's that was the first year that I really followed hockey closely. And uh, that run was magnificent. Once again, not probably not a great team, 
But as, and they ran into a buzzsaw. Oh, and the Islanders the and yeah. Louis always said that the loss in that in that series was super disappointing, and I don't doubt him. But that's another one where I felt as a fan, you should be just pleased to to be here. But that was Dino Cicerelli and that entire collection, and Cicerelli came up out of nowhere and had a great playoff. So my top ten again: eighty-one North Stars, eighty-seven Twins, ninety-one Twins. 97 uh, men's gopher basketball team. Number five on my list, the 98 Vikings. Uh, six through 10, the 83, 84 North Stars who made the conference finals. Number seven, the 91 North Stars. Number eight, the 2009 Vikings. Number nine, the 1990 men's gopher basketball team that lost uh, to Georgia Tech. And number 10, the 1980 Twins who were no good, but I loved them. <laughs> James Murphy, what's uh, coming up in questions for us? Well, I've put together a uh, football-centric trio of questions. Football! Football, yeah! Football! More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and Judd. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, James Murphy, three questions for uh, Mr. Hill and myself. Fire away. All right, let's start off, like I said, all three related to football with question one. Hold on a second. Wait, wait, if you're going to do that. Football! Football, yeah! Yeah! Football! Who says I can't use the button bar, huh? Who says I can't? <laughs> Look at you. Yeah. My goodness. That's right. Uh-huh. New me. I'm a younger version. <laughs> Just like the demo's like. Like 37 or something. Uh, I'm we, shooting for 42 right now. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, we talked earlier about the contract situation between Le'Veon Bell and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh obviously has Super Bowl aspirations, and Vegas actually has them as the number two team to make it to the big game. My question for you two is simple. How long can Pittsburgh remain entrenched in their Super Bowl hunt without Le'Veon Bell? Manny? Uh, man, you know, I think they're a playoff team without him, but you're not going to the Super Bowl without him, man. You're just you're just not. I don't care how good Ben Roethlisberger is at this stage of his career, and Ben's still pretty good, but... um. I, I just you you better get him in. Even if you're if you can if you can survive and get to week ten, and he's not there, and you finally get something worked out week eleven or whatever. What's behind him right now? That- James Connor is is his name, and that's it. I I don't even know who the third string is, but it's it's no one. I think you know you you've got you've got Ben and you've got Antonio Brown and you've got Juju. So offensively, they're going to be. There's enough there to where they can hold off, but yep. if you don't have him, you're, you're, they're not going to the Super Bowl without him. I'm a big believer in sports karma and chemistry and things like that, and I also think that when you have guys taking sides, that's yeah. They, they, for as much NFL teams downplay distractions because they hate them because they do cause problems. Like there's not many teams that can actually have distractions, which this clearly has become. Mm-hmm. So. They might be a playoff team, but they might not be too. This is no. this is the type of thing I I always take it very seriously when there's turmoil. I don't think it can be downplayed, and and to have guys turning on each other, and you know they say, well, if Bell shows up, it's going to be fine. Well, you don't know that for sure, and this just creates another l- layer of distraction. A- am I right in saying 
that it seems like, and there's been success here, so it's not costing them completely. Am I right in saying that it seems as if things have gotten away from Tomlin more and more? I was more? just going to say, where where is Mike Tomlin in all of I this feel, Le'Veon I, Bell stuff? I feel, I, I, feel, I have this <laughs> weird he, feeling that he's like losing more and more. I, there's something weird about this whole thing. He was such a, he at one point seemed like such a dominant force, and I mean that in a good way. Mm-hmm. This whole thing feels weird to me. And and sort of the identity of the Steelers, too. Remember for so long with Cower and Chuck Noll before that, it was run the ball and play hard-nosed defense and just suffocate you defensively. Yep. And then, like, last year, Blake Bortles comes in and lights them up in the playoffs. And you're like, huh? I know. That's not, you know, you're, you're, you're not there. The Steelers have not really been that good of a defensive team. And then they the want to be becoming a passing team. And but, Tomlin's a defensive coach. But what's but I just feel as far as the players go, that there's been control lost there that he used to have. Yeah. And, and I don't watch him on a daily basis, so I might be wrong. But it just feels odd. So yeah. all right, hold on a second here. I gotta get to the right thing. Come on, Buttmar guy. Hold on, hold on. I've been using <laughs> this button bar too much lately. There <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys about a Viking who has largely underachieved in his first two years with the team. After a promising camp and preseason, Laquan Treadwell looks oh, to make boy. an impact. There you go. Yeah. Look at my goodness. Uh, he looks to make an impact in a make-or-break season in, in this his third season. What kind of year do you predict Laquan Treadwell will have? I'm going to let you take this one first. I honestly, realistically, not much of one. I think he'll block. I I mean, I think he'll be on the team the entire season. I think he'll block. I think he'll catch passes here and there. Uh, If if your question is trying to imply that I'm supposed to potentially say that he's going to have a breakout year, the likes of which we have not seen, James Murphy, (laughs) my answer is absolutely not. Go out on a limb. No, I think he'll be. I, I, if all, if all goes according to plan, I think he'll be a blocker. I think he'll catch a couple passes. I don't expect Manny that there really is another big step here. Like, but hope there is. You would like there to be, but I don't think that there's a big step here. I think what you see is what you get. I think he's gone after the first contract, and I think that he can make some contributions and not be in complete detriment. Uh, but I don't think he's going to move himself on the depth chart and or impress us that much. Well, Juddy had 20 catches last year for exactly 200 yards. His longest catch was 25 yards last year. Mm-hmm. Now, the positive is that that is 20 times as many catches as he had his rookie season <laughs> in 2016. So 80, 80 this year? <laughs> I think you'll have... I think he'll get to 30 catches this year. I think he'll get to 30 catches. Okay. But that's that's not what you drafted him for. No. You didn't draft him to have to be a 30 catch wide receiver in his third it year. It sounds like we're on the same page basically. Yeah. Like he's not going to be a disaster. He's not going to He's not a disaster, but he's not He's not going to move the needle very much and yeah, it's just 30 I think high end 30 catches and he might actually get into the end zone for once in his career. I guess just a quick follow up. Do you guys actually see Stacy Coley and and Brandon Zilstra taking snaps away from him this year? Because if, if you look at it just purely based on the the depth chart from what he was looking at last year, 
uh, they liked Jarius Wright a lot more than him and used him and they, obviously more in the and offense. And they didn't like Wright that much. Right. That's, that's, that's the incredible thing here. And I asked they Collar, remember, remember we were at the fair last week, I asked Collar, are they going to miss Jarius Wright more than people realize And the this answer year. is yes. Yeah. It's yes. Um, well, Stacy Coley, I mean, he was my pick for Egan's Everyman on the ride with the Racy this year, and I know you're that's a really like, creative, Yeah, that's, that's a really good. creative thing pick, by Pat. Then, I'm just but, really impressed. And, but Stacy Coley, it's like, I think there's something there with him, but he just keeps getting hurt. He can't stay healthy. Yeah. He can't stay healthy, so I don't, I don't know. But if if he and Zilstra are healthy... Yeah, I mean, maybe if if Treadwell's not being productive, then why why would he be out there? Well, you let's know? go worst case. If Diggs and or Thielen gets hurt, what happens? Because I don't think Treadwell can move up to replace one of them. Mm-mm. I don't think so either. You're and probably can somebody Zilstra they, or or if Coley's healthy, maybe or maybe that would open up Dalvin Cook to get even more involved in the passing game, which he's already already figures to be. All right, Murphy, move it along. Question number three. The NFL officially kicks off tonight as the Falcons head into Philadelphia to take on the Super Bowl champs. Combo question for you gentlemen. Who do you like tonight? And do you like either of these teams in their respected divisions? You know, I like Atlanta tonight. I don't know why, but I I like Atlanta tonight. Because Foles, Foles is going to start and... You know, Foles, court, yeah. Foles was great. He he played terrific. He he destroyed the Vikings. But he actually, was great in the Super like Bowl. Like you point out, he didn't play terrific. He was awful. Yes. Down the stretch, late yes. in his regular season, he was brutal. Yes. And, you know, this is kind of a lot's going to be, you know, they're getting their crowning moment. They're getting their rings. And I think they're going to raise the banner and all that stuff yep. at the link. But uh, I think Atlanta's, I think Atlanta's going to have a bounce back year. It was kind of a down year for them. I think Atlanta wins tonight. I'm sorry, what was part two of the question? Uh, do you like either of them in their oh, uh, in their divisions? Divisions? Uh, no, I think the Saints are going to win the win the uh, NFC South again. And the East and the, and the Eagles. In the East, yeah, I think the Eagles will win the okay. East. Okay, so yeah. you do like them. Yeah. Um, I'm with Manny. I think that the pressure on Philadelphia tonight, as I put both hands around my throat, is going to be pretty big. <laughs> Plus, they've allowed. Thanks, Reg. Peterson's allowed this whole uh, Doug P- or Doug has allowed this whole QB thing to eat at him all of training camp. Um, <laughs> no, you don't say. Yeah, no, exactly. And, <laughs> Next and, question. And, Next question. And Nick and you know Nick Foles for as well as he played in the uh, key playoff games eventually, and especially against the Vikings and and the uh, Super Bowl. That game against the Raiders late in the season. Yeah, there was some was ugly, awful. And uh, let's be honest: if Nick Foles was as good as he played in the couple games that he was great in. You know, this guy bounced around. Mm-hmm. This guy, the Vikings, I, I remember writing at the start of 2016, long before Teddy's leg went, that the Vikings should just go get, like, Nick Foles. Because I think, I believe the Rams released him right before training camp that year, and Kansas mm-hmm. City signed him because he knew Reed's system. Mm-hmm. But I was like, just go sign Nick Foles. He's a capable backup. Never thinking he would. So, uh, I think the Falcons actually rebound. I think the Falcons have a good year. Yeah. And... uh you know, I'm not going to be surprised if the Falcons win that division. I'm not going to. That division is weird. Yeah, the NFC South there seems changes. to be a different winner every, every year. Every yeah. year, every year, you think you know, and say to yourself, "Okay, this is the Saints' year, or this is the Panthers' year, or this is the Falcons' year." It's somebody else. We never say it's the Bucks' year yet, though. Well, they're the they're one of the. I'm That's telling you, they're the one. They're team one of the that... two, few teams I could find in this conference that I that is going to be terrible. Yeah, I think 
uh, Cotter's going to get fired as head coach. Yep. I think Jameis Winston's not getting a second contract. Uh, the NFC East's weird. I I think Philadelphia's going to take a bit of a step back. I think so. I think the pressure of winning a Super Bowl uh, and all and all those things that have to go right, it's so difficult to get that to go right again. Carson Wentz going to try and come back, but is he going to be as good as soon as he comes back, or is he going to go through three games where it takes him some time? Do so you think like Dallas or somebody would probably win yes. that division? And Dallas won 13 games and, and had some very good fortune two years ago themselves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could see the Falcons in the South and Dallas. Phil likes the Giants a lot, and I do think the Giants are going to be substantially improved. I don't think they're going to win that division, though. Yeah, Eli still scares me, but I could easily see it being the Cowboys in the East and the uh, Falcons in the NFC South. There's going to be a really good team in the NFC that might we might see a 10-win team in the NFC not make the playoffs. Well, there might be at least, what, two, re- two really good teams that don't make the playoffs, right? Yeah. Potentially? Yep. All right, take a break. Come back, wrap things up after this. Final segment of today's program, Mackie and Judd, which today has been, let's start it off as, wait, hold on, Judd, Scoggins, Chris Long. Mm-hmm. Then it was 10 to 10.30 or so, Judd and Collar. Mm-hmm. And then since 10.30, it's been Judd and Manny. The one consistent being James Murphy doing an outstanding job. Great work, Murphy. Oh, Thank you. I, I have a correction on my list, but by the way, I screwed something up. I wrote something down wrong, and I'd like to apologize. My number 10 on, on my list was the 1980 Twins, but then I gave the strike-shortened season, which was, as Brian points out via email, it was 81. 81. Right. So I meant the 81 Twins, which was the was last like, year in Met Stadium before the move to the Dome. So I wrote down the wrong year. I meant when I was 11 years old, the 81 Twins. So and, and that year was the it was a strike year, but it was like they it was split like seasons. two split seasons. It was split yeah. seasons, and the Twins the Twins actually made some sort of small run in the second half. That team was terrible, and in the second half they made some type of run, and I believe they allowed Calvin to print playoff tickets. So like there were playoff tickets at card collector shows oh, floating around for that team, but th- that was the year that they had the strike. And then the strike finally ended, and and they had the All-Star game was the kickoff event to the second half then, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, in Cleveland, which is where the All-Star game is going to be in 2019, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't the Reds end up having like the best, best combined record. record? I've got the pennant. I've got a pennant. Best record in baseball, 1981. They didn't make the playoffs. Didn't make the playoffs. Because of the split seasons. That's very good, Manny. I remember because well, I remember Royce mentioning that. That's correct. A couple of years, the eighty-one. Ago, yeah, but anyway, I stand corrected. Eighty-one twins. I'm sorry. <laughs> Eighty twins. I love them too. But uh, yeah, that strike shortened season. That was something. Man, that was a bad. Was that the team. beginning, or maybe a couple? Of, was that the beginning of Fernando Mania, or was that a couple of years later with the Dodgers? I think it was. I in, was that eighty. I think it was eighty. Was it eighty? I think you're. I think you're right. Okay. Yep. All right. We are done. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, sir. Um, thank you, James Murphy. Great job today. Garage Logic uh, coming up next. We're back tomorrow morning.